It's October 14th, 2021, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Matthew. And I'm Larry. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Well, welcome back, everyone. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago when we were last here, but here we are again. Yeah, it's... it's God, it's the 14th, which is tomorrow's the 15th, which means October's half over. I thought about I was going to fall out of my chair when I realized that today. I'm like, no, that means like two weeks. It's November and it's nah. I'm thinking about the work I have to do. And suddenly <laughs> I, I'm probably not the only one that does this, but suddenly I'm like getting a little, you know, panicky. <laughs> Well, and, and something that, that Faye reminded me, well, partly because she hasn't done any herself, but the continuing education credits are coming up. It's, it'll be here faster than you think, and we'll all be cramming for it. I was I was trying to get get the ball rolling a little earlier this year, but well, that kind of fell by the wayside, as it usually does. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty much the way it goes for everybody. I know last year I was doing most of mine in December and I know that Dallas, um, that AI Dallas does their oh, procrastinators day. So there'll be all those people crammed into the, to one of the rooms trying to get, you know, eight hours worth of credits in like six hours. So yeah, it's, it's that time of year, but, but I got lucky. I was, well, not lucky, I guess, but I went down to the TXA conference, the Texas Society of Architects conference last week, and spent three or four days there. Let's see, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, no, three days of conference. So I was able to at least pick up some of my continuing education, which is kind of cool. And and plus, it was really weird. We were in person. So it was just that strange experience for the first time in two years. We actually had the conference in person. Most everybody was wearing a mask. I wouldn't say everybody was, but most people were pretty respectful. It was a little different, a little weird, but it was really kind of cool to just do it in person for the first time in in two years, and and a little awkward, but still very very cool to actually see everyone there. And of course, one of the events that happens every year, and and this is true for most of the architecture chapters, whether that's you know AI National or it's the TXA, which is the Texas Architects, or even the local chapters like AIA Dallas. Every year we do this awards program. So for some reason, we love handing out awards to people. And we have this, I think, this need almost to pat ourselves on the back. And, uh, and to, to drive home that point, AIA has a laundry, laundry list of honors that they give out every year. But, you know, for TXA, this was this chance to, to recognize this year's winners in person. So... It was really pretty cool in, in that sense of things. And, and like I said, we do this every year. We love handing out the awards. But at the state and local level, part of the challenge is that you start to see the same firms honored year over year. So you'll see, for example, you'll see Lake Flato buildings showing up almost every award cycle, especially, I think, at the local level, more than, more than at the state level, but it does happen. So sometimes you have the same firms same buildings sometimes show up in the in the ward cycle. I know for uh, TXA this year, there were a couple of firms that were honored multiple times, which just is you know just different buildings in different categories. So it was this kind of weird experience to see that happening. But but it does. We give out these awards, but we're giving out these awards to the same people over and over again. And and that really 
got us thinking about what qualifies as good design because when you see the same firms with similar buildings over and over again, you really start to wonder what's being recognized with, with awards like the, the Pritzker Prize, which is a kind of Nobel for architecture. Judges are looking at a body of work, not just one building or a few, and it's really meant to highlight the best of what a profession has to offer and what we as architects can aspire to. However, <laughs> there are plenty of quote-unquote design awards that are given out that really start to make you wonder, is that the best building or, or it, it, did they really go for that design for this specific award? Then you start questioning, well, what is good design at that point? If, if that building can do it, well, geez, I can do that. And so you start thinking, well, are we just highlighting projects from high-profile firms or buildings that just have the best flash and the, the biggest budgets? And, and not that we're poo-pooing design awards. It's, it's, it really is a great way for architects and architecture organizations to draw attention to the industry. Aside from the <laughs> occasional news story of, of a developer wanting to raise a, his, a local historic structure, you know, architecture doesn't get a lot of play in the local news. And so highlighting award-winning projects gives us that opportunity to communicate to the wider world what architects and architecture are about. So for today's podcast, we want to take a closer look at what constitutes good design from an architectural sense and less from an awards perspective. Except how do you recognize the good and the bad and the ugly of design if people aren't sort of pointing it out to you, like saying, oh, look, here's a great award. Obviously, look at this. It's fantastic. Because taste is really subjective. And believe me, if there's any doubt about that, go visit the McMansion Hell and Please Hate These Things social media sites or two separate sites. Someone on all of these photos designed and built the houses and the items that are featured. And while we may not like them, their owners must have. I mean, again, I guess, you know, like I said, taste is really subjective. On the flip side of that, though, we have architecture magazines that feature multi-million dollar homes with floor-to-ceiling glass and these high-end finishes and these really incredible views. But again, does that constitute good design? Their owners would think so, and their architects would think so, and the magazine definitely thinks so. But for us, we want to think beyond what award committees tell us. we we want to look past flashy, stylized buildings, and we certainly want to talk about maybe the less traditional ideas about what encompasses good design. And to start with, think of good design as the result of effective collaboration between the client, the architect, and the contractor. That relationship is a three-legged stool where every piece needs to stay balanced to achieve a successful outcome. If you remove any one leg, the project will fall apart. Without the client, there's no project and no money for said project. No architects? Well, <laughs> your, your functionality and the design and, and even the safety, we, we, we like to refer to it as the health, safety, and welfare of the building is in jeopardy. And without the contractor, there's no one to build your building. <laughs> All three of these pieces really need to fit well together. And if any one gets out of balance, the design and the overall effort of the building will suffer. 
And good design can be as simple as coming up with a, a creative solution to tight building restrictions. Think about a new home in a dense suburban setting where houses are really close to one another. And, and instead of creating a place that mimics the rest of the neighborhood where you could reach out your kitchen window and get a cup of sugar from the house next door, you work out a solution that respects the client's need for privacy, yet still respects the neighboring homes to where you know, you're, you're not looking directly into their backyard or you're, you're protecting everybody's views and privacy in the right way. Or, you know, perhaps the good design can be responding to energy efficient standards that might limit the amount of windows, but still give the client great views. It's a balancing effort. And the, the great design can, could also be squeezing the most out of a limited budget and yet still achieving something unique, which is, is, which is really why my favorite residential designs come out of Japan. Houses depreciate financially so quickly there that it really gives architects a kind of freedom to really push the boundaries of design in ways that isn't possible anywhere else in the world. Because if you think about here in the United States, you know, if you build a house for $200,000, that $200,000 is still going to be ideally is still going to be in the house 30 years from now when you go to sell it and move to some move move somewhere else in Japan that doesn't happen in 30 years that $200,000 is essentially zero and they build and they essentially s- scrape the lot and start over from scratch so there's a lot of really neat ways that architects there have really come to experiment because they know that at the end of the day their design is going to be essentially disposable in in 20 years and so they're able to take more risks because of it. And and you and clients are more willing to try something more unique to their style and sometimes could be considered unusual. And so there was this really cool building by uh, uh and I'm going to butcher this Tetsuo Yamaji Architects and I and I really like to share a quote that really drives home the good design portion of this because In describing the house for a young couple and their kids, the architect says, family structures, household incomes, working styles, hobbies, tastes, weather, and climate are all different for different families. Most of us want to be special in some way, but we all want high quality products, but at a cheap price. Therefore, mass production equals prefabrication has been the inevitable solution. In this project, our main subject was a non-mass produced house using mass produced components. And, and, and here the architect is, is really describing their desire to create a unique house out of off-the-shelf parts. They respect the client's budget, capture the client's dream, and, and turn both into a result that is worthy of being called out as good design. But if you were to look purely at the aesthetics of this house, it really probably wouldn't stand out too much because the look of the house is fairly neutral. But good design is really more than skin deep. There's a purposeful intent that drives it, and and that intent is where the good design is located. This Japanese architect was very intentional about putting mass-produced elements together in a unique way to create something different. Good design here is celebrating the successful outcome of that intent because the house is so much more valuable because of that effort. And, And... To me, that that's really different from what you would get here because 
we try to use mass, we, we try to do something similar. You get mass produced items, but instead of using those same mass produced items to build something unique in the United States, at least you use mass produced items to build mass produced housing. There, there, there's no, there's really no intent. There's no, there's no trial and error to, to try to figure out something better. It's just go, go, go. And, and it's really interesting to see and, and really cool from a design perspective to see taking uh, just a slightly different approach to it and, and how unique and really cool the house can become as a result. Yeah, if you look at the architecture magazines, you, what you see for the quote-unquote houses are just these big soaring structures. And you're looking at it thinking, oh my gosh, this is just a small fortune to to build this thing and and yes there's design intent and yes there is some glitz and glamour and and but, but you know most of these homes are done with not with mass produced parts and they're not you know they're there for show it seems like and and which makes me wonder also you know do they really function but but what you're talking about though I think it's is a great example of how architecture doesn't have to be glamorous to qualify as a good design one of the classes I took at the conference last week was about creating opportunity for people where there hasn't typically been any. There was an organization that was presenting that was talking about how they were working to create affordable housing for lower income families and individuals and typically in poorer parts of the country. The method for this was to utilize a series of prefab units. And I mean, we're talking like it's it's shipping out of the factory as a piece. I mean, it's it's complete. It's plumbing, electrical, fixtures, finishes, everything is shipping out of the factory that way and being placed on the site. So by using a series of these units, the potential owners could sit down and actually create homes that fit within their budgets and and without limiting themselves because there's an opportunity down to the road to sort of, well, not to sort of, to actually expand these homes by using additional units. I think the, the initial thought was to start off with a base structure and then over time, you add bedrooms or you add an extra, like a big family room or you add a master suite. And they actually had, I think they had like five initial buildings. And that's what they were showing us. Was It wasn't flashy. I mean, this, this wasn't something that you think of like, you look at it and you go, oh, wow, that's just knocking my socks off. But it's a design that gives people the chance to own their homes. And it's the chance also for them to perhaps step up out of poverty. So... So when we talk about good design, it's it's not necessarily about flash. It's not necessarily about tall windows and great views and stuff. Sometimes it's just that that piece that is has maybe a more profound effect on on what's happening in in society. Perhaps I don't know. It's like I said, it's it's the idea of good design is very subjective. So why don't we celebrate good design where we think we see it and call it out where and when it's deserved for us? I mean, I know for, I think for me and Matthew both, it's not necessarily the sexiest building on the block or the, or the house with the biggest budget. Sometimes it's just a design that serves simpler needs, and there's plenty of that work being done right now. Yeah. So let's really think of what good design actually is. You know, you can have those nice things like floor to ceiling windows, but you know, unless it's part of a bigger design strategy, uh, you know. Uh, not so impressed anymore so good and, and good and good design is, is 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 as much as we're describing different examples it, it really is intangible like 
you know it when you see it and you can, you know, if somebody's there to point it out to you, sure. But maybe, maybe some of these awards down the road can, can maybe start to recognize the, the, the other good work that people are doing, not just the, the huge budgets out there. So. Yeah, I, I think that would be a nice, nice thing to see to see some of these smaller structures really, and 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 I think we are seeing that in a, in a couple of instances. But again, you you start to see some of the same firms and the same same style of buildings over and over again, and you're like, okay, there has to be something more to that. There has to be something, something else. And and so, if you're listening to this and you have some ideas, please let us know what your thoughts are on good design and you know, what constitutes good design for you, because like we said, it's subjective. And of course, that you know, you can always reach me at Larry at SpottedDogArchitecture.com or at SpottedDogArch on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find us online at architecturegeeks.com or on Instagram at ArchGeeksPodcast. So I think that's where we're gonna call it today. And we'll see you guys next week. Well, not necessarily next week, but I guess next time. Here, here in a couple of weeks, that'll be a couple more weeks. So, yeah. All right, everyone. Well, we will talk to you later and have a good weekend in the next couple of weeks. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye.